God has graciously invited us to partake of his very nature. How foolish we would be to reject that. God himself, in the text we'll see it, he invites us, come, come, not only to understand intellectually the the gospel and the scriptures, Christianity is not, is not a subject simply, simply to be studied like math and reading, science, history. That's not Christianity. And if someone is stuck in a mode in which he or she thinks that Christianity is a system by which we compile head knowledge, as though we can can compile better argument tools. Somehow Christianity is somehow a basis by which now we can launch political arguments. You've missed it. Missed it. Christianity at its very base is, is a vehicle which God has allowed us through his glorious gospel. To enjoy him. To be in union with him. Eternal life is not agreeing to facts. No, this is eternal life that they may know you, the God and Jesus Christ our Lord. That's eternal life. Not some simple intellectual assent. Peter starts off. Second, the epistle of Second Peter with this concept of us partaking in the very divine nature that created this world. Without further ado, let us begin Second Peter. First chapter, the first verse, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter starts off by saying, there's nothing special about my faith that you don't have. Nothing special. Before the cross, we're equal. And I don't have some sort of secret knowledge. Some, some, some secret power in my faith that you don't have. Now, if there's a difference, the difference comes in that how I respond and how you respond. Suffering, I see it as a badge of honor. Maybe others may see suffering as something you run from. But as far as this faith before God, equal. Have attained a faith equal to the standing of ours by the righteousness of our God. Look at verse, verse two. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Yes, grace and peace may be multiplied, but it's going to come through your understanding and knowing him. Verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge, that's, there's that word again, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and, and excellence. And then we get to verse 4. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that them, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Not partakers of the divine knowledge. Not partakers of, of some sort of um, a task. But partakers of the divine knowledge. I'm sorry, the divine nature. The very nature who spoke and light came into being. Now, partakers does not mean equality. We can never be equal with God. But we can access His nature. Partakers of divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the desire. Here's the first one. God invites us to share in his very nature. I've said it already before this. Christianity is not, please hear me, Christianity is not something you just study. It's not head knowledge. Although head knowledge is important, it goes beyond that. And I remember I had a, a and I've said this before, I had a, um, an RA in the, 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 the dormitory, and he had converted to Islam. And we were having this Christian uh, Muslim debate, quote unquote, and he said, James, you're wrong. See, I used to be a Christian. I studied it. I read it. I read all the books. I studied it. Now I'm a Muslim. To which I shot back. That's the problem, man. You studied it. You didn't live it. And there's some things only within Christianity and God that you can obtain through living it. Things start to make sense in Christianity once you live it. Through faith you trust, you come to an understanding that I am a sinner by nature. And once you come to the end of yourself, you recognize, God, I need you. I am a sinner. I am corrupt from the inside out. And once you throw yourself on the mercy of God, and you accept him as Lord, and you accept him as, as your Savior, then the light bulbs start to go off. And as through obedience, you, 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 you obey him regardless of how you feel. The light bulbs continue to go off. And as we grow in him, Peter terms this partaking of the divine nature. God's invitation is not to a classroom per se. His invitation is to a relationship. Get to know me. Verse 5. For this very reason. What reason is that, Peter? 
that God has invited you to partake in his very nature. For this reason, make every effort to supplant your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Here's the second part. God requires that our faith is to grow in order to partake in his knowledge. How does one actually partake in the very nature of God? We start off with faith. And Peter starts with faith and he uses a teaching to by which he is going to systematically build one upon another until he gets to the end. And that is what this list is. How does one go through the sanctification process, thus partaking in the divine nature where Peter uses this list? Here's the first thing he says. He starts off with faith. That's where the starting point has to be saving faith. Rejecting sin, rejecting your selfishness, accepting Christ. To your faith add virtue. Virtue is the concept that God has standards. Virtue is the concept that what you are to add to faith is when you come and you start to grow, you must accept that God has standards and it is his standards we live by. Not our own. So oftentimes people become Christians and they immediately start to see how they can somehow incorporate the scriptures into their morals. No, your morals have to go out the window. And you adopt God's concept of virtues, God's concept of moral excellence. And when you and the Bible clash with morality, you yield. Not the Bible. You don't change the Bible to fit what you think is right. And Peter says when you come to faith in Christ, you have to understand you as a sinner, you're messed up. Now the Bible is going to help correct your mess. So he says... To faith, you add virtue. Here's the second one with virtue, knowledge. Yes, I understand God has moral excellence. Now it's time for me to understand what those moral excellences are. There are some things I need to learn. There's some things I need to know. There are some facts that I need to obtain. And I got to learn. And that's why I go to Bible study. Sunday school. That's why I fellowship with other Christians. That's why I read reputable books. Because to my understanding that God has a moral standard, I need to learn what those standards are. Here's the next one. In verse 6. And to knowledge, self-control. That concept is that I need to now not only know what those standards are, I need to actually try to live by them. So that's where self-control comes in. I understand God has moral standards. Now I understand that the moral standard is thou shalt not lie. Now I need to exercise some self-control and stop lying. Stop stealing. Stop cussing. I need to now live by that which I know is right. 
Next in the list, self-control with steadfastness. If you are a Christian and you make up your mind to do something, then automatically through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'll never do it again. Is that how it goes? No. It's not how it goes. Not how it goes at all. Matter of fact, one person wrote, wrote, wrote his reflections down and he says, the things I want to do, I don't do them. The things I don't want to do, that I did. And this concept of steadfastness is that when I mess up, I'm not going to give up. When I'm knocked down, I'm not going to quit and lose heart. The age-old saying, a man is not measured by how many times he's knocked down, but how many times he gets back up. That's steadfastness. And this Christianity thing, this God thing, yes, I will make mistakes, but I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep at it. And yes, I've messed up countless times, but I'm going to keep trying. Steadfastness. Continuing verse 6, and to steadfastness, godliness. That is the concept that in my struggles, to add godliness to it, is that I, I, I start to see things from God's perspective. That my struggles with this and that is not simply a, a self-determinism, a, a, a self Self-promotion. Christianity is not a self-help program. But the things when I struggle and the things that I, that, that I battle with, I add to my steadfastness the concept that, yes, I'm struggling with sin, but my sin hurts God. And that the things that I start to do, I do in view of God. Wow, what would God do in this? Wow, how did God see that? Man, I know I can't stand that person, but what would God say? What did Jesus do? Verse 7, into godliness, brotherly affections. Now I will admit this. The term actually means tenderness. It carries with it the concept of feelings. And I'll admit, I looked for a second opinion. Because it, it can't mean that, feelings. But the second and the third of feeling said the same thing. And if I'm working on this list, I've had to submit. You see, there is something when God says... In the Old Testament, I will take their heart of stone and turn it into flesh. That you actually care. That you actually care whether or not someone goes to hell or not. That when you see someone suffering, you don't just say, whatever, their deal. But, but it 
it hurts somewhere in here. Brotherly love is the phileo, is the verb. We get out the concept of, of, of Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's brotherly affection. It is. It, it is the warm, fuzzy tenderness towards another. And as I looked, Genesis 6, when God looks and he sees all the sin, it says God grieved. He grieved in his heart what he saw. It hurt. And when we see people dominated by sin, I, 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 I tell you, when, when I was growing um, in the Lord and, um, in D.C., I think I've shared the story with some of you, outside of my, my sister's house, at, uh, I think at M and, M and 7, it was a condominium. I was looking at a scene down out of her window. She lived in a condo. And I guess this... You want to call it streetwalker. He propositioned the wrong man. Um, he was a he was a male prostitute walking, and uh, he propositioned the wrong man. And this man picked up a two by four and started wailing on him. And I literally saw this man running in between cars trying to get away. But every time he turned the corner, the guy behind him was right behind him, and he whack, hit him on the head. And I'm like, oh wow. And he cornered him, and he started to whack, whack, whack. And this guy, this guy curled up like a woman. And the guy continued to hit him. And even though I don't agree with homosexuality, I said, whoa, this is wrong. And my heart broke for this man. What in his life caused him to be that way. That he would let another man just hit him upside the head with a two-by-four and curl up. And the guy stopped and they started to argue. He was, he, was, he, was, he was hurt pretty bad. And at that moment, I wanted to go down and beat that guy up with the two-by-four for being so cruel to this guy. When you when you see people hurting and they need the gospel, it should touch you. When you see your brothers and sisters that walk through these doors every day and they struggle and battle with life, does your heart go out to them? Or do you simply focus on your life? There is no way we can get closer to God, yet our hearts remain heart of stone. And you don't care about other humans. When you start to care, then you know you're getting closer because our God agonizes over the horrors of sin. And every bad, sinful act that happens on earth because he is omniscient, I mean omnipresent, he sees it. Whenever something bad happens on TV, I can turn away. He can't. 
And as we get closer and this godliness, seeing it from God's perspective, and then you add brotherly love, you actually start to develop the heart of God. Then you move through its, its completion of this whole process, and that is adding love. Once you can add love to the mix, the ability to give who you are to another without thought of yourself, the ability to sacrifice for someone else, the ability to do what's best for another, even at the the, the demise of yourself, suffer for the gospel to suffer for another now that's the divine nature that's God that's Jesus dying on a cross for me and you that's love verse 8 For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you have love and all these other qualities and they're growing. God says in Romans 13, you know what? You don't need the law. You don't need the rules, thou shalt and thou shalt not. If you are controlled by God's love, you don't have to worry about all that. Why? Because love is the perfect fulfillment of the law. All those laws were designed to get you to do one and only one thing. Love. Love. And if you can do that, you are mature, you are effective. And when you see someone homeless or struggling, love doesn't always give them what they want. Someone's struggling, they're, they're, they're homeless and they ask you for $5. Love says, no, I'm not giving you $5. You're hungry, I'll feed you. But I'm not going to give you $5 so you can put, put alcohol, more alcohol in your body or more drugs in your body. No, love does what's best, not what they want, what's best for another. And you'll be able to see more clearly. You'll be able to to, to walk in the very center of God's will. You'll be effective. Verse 9, but for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. There are a lot of people who claim to be Christians. Who can care less about steadfastness or self-control? Before we even get down to their virtue, that God has a system of right and wrong, and they don't care about knowledge. You know what? You need to seek the scriptures to know whether or not something is right or wrong. The Bible has a lot to say about abortion and homosexual marriage and welfare. And a lot of the other economic problems we have. If you are truly a Christian. Look at these qualities. 
Not only look at these qualities, let me go on. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. That term diligent means to exert with everything you have, do it. That term diligent means make time if you have to. The term diligent means make it a priority. Turn off the TV and make this a priority. Be diligent to make your calling and election sure. If you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Here's the third one. To partake in his nature takes honest, hard self-evaluation. There is no one I know mature in Christ who does not have the practice of looking in the mirror and saying, how do I get better? Where have I done wrong? Where have I failed and how can I grow in my weakest areas? There's not a person I know in Christ who doesn't look at this list or some other list and says, how am I doing with brotherly affection? How am I doing with knowledge? Do I know what I need to know? How am I doing with self-control? Am I engaging in behavior I should not be? Have my eyes seen things they should not have seen? Am I hanging out with the wrong people? The ability to look in the mirror and to be honest, brutally honest. How am I doing? Be the more diligent. Verse 11, for in this way they will, rich, they, they will be richly provided for you and an, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of God. I'm sorry, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. As the singers come forward for the response song. I want all of us to look at verse 11. He introduces a concept that I don't want us to, to, to run quickly over. These qualities are tied to whether or not you get into heaven. Which means if you have none of these qualities and you can care less about these qualities, not good. Because if you have no interest into this eternal kingdom, there's a term used, the lake of fire. That is an awful place. Here's the 800-pound the, the gorilla in the room. Everyone who is saved partakes of the divine nature. And if you don't partake of the divine nature, you're not his. You're not saved. This list... It's not a suggestion to Christians. It's what would happen if you are a true Christian.
Let us pray.